Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader Stay Home Puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly newspaper paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Here's a headline uh, from today's newspaper. Just you sense what's going on in the world. I talked about it at length uh, in the uh, show I did earlier today. I'll probably talk about it at length uh, tomorrow's show. Uh, the uh, first city council meeting presided over by uh, our newly elected Mayor Brandon Johnson occurred uh, yesterday. It was a write-up in the Sun-Times. Uh, lots of different things happened at that council meeting uh, of note. Uh, but one point I uh, didn't really get into in today's conversation. I just got to uh, highlight it a little bit. Anthony Beal, the alderman of the Ninth Ward in the far southeast side of Chicago, uh, left the zoning committee. Zoning committee is a very important committee in the Chicago City Council that determines whether various building projects can occur uh, be, if they have the correct zoning. So if you want to uh, get a big project going in your ward or if you want to weigh in on any project uh, th- throughout the city, you got to sit in the zoning committee. It's an important committee. Well, uh-uh. he says, I want to be removed from the zoning committee because I don't like the chairman. And the chairman is uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosen. A uh, lefty from the north side of Chicago, northwest side of Chicago, proud graduate of Whitney Young. It's going to be a theme today, Whitney Young. Uh, he graduated, I want to say, in 2007. He's a young man. Uh, and Anthony Beale just doesn't like him. And I, folks, I got to tell you, that is straight up high school. I think of all the rogues and malcontents and, and miscreants who've been in the Chicago City Council. And this is the first guy. Like, what? He's the worst? You, you could put up with Ed Burke? Ed Burke was freaking... St- Shaking people down who came before the city to get TIF deals, and they would and he would try to force them twist their arm uh, into uh, hiring his property tax business. You dealt with him, Anthony Beal. You didn't have any problem with him. And Ed Burke was one of the biggest racists in the 1980 fighting Harold Washington, and he never apologized. As far as I saw, you dealt with him. That's just one. 
I mean, I know, listen, Carlos is combative. Carlos doesn't back down from fights. Carlos is quick on his feet. He was a hell of a debater in high school, and he's a hell of a debater uh, right now. And he can say things that irritate you. But good God, come on. That is very high school. I don't like him. I'm not going to sit with him in the cafeteria. I am just going to take my ball and go home. Come on, Anthony Beal. Your constituents deserve better than that. All right. Enough on that. I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and away we go. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Uh, how are you doing, everyone? I'm DeFrance Smart. I'm glad to be back. Uh, I feel like I'm the uh, sports correspondent for the Ben Jarowski show. Uh, and that's that's going to be my opening line now. Uh, but, yeah, it feels really, really good to be back for a second time this year to Talk about all things sports. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, we do. Uh, yes, you've been uh, given that job and the enormous pay that comes with it. Correct. Uh, and uh, one day, DeFrance will have her own podcast. I make that prediction. She's really good on the mic. Oh, you're, you're trying to push me that way. There, there are so many mics. I think everyone uh, post-COVID has created a podcast at this point. We went from probably about... 50,000 to a million podcasts since COVID. Like, it's the only thing, like, our market is going down and podcasts <laughs> are just continuously rising. And I honestly haven't seen, like, a peak, to be to be honest, because every week someone else is coming up with, like, oh, I think I should do a podcast. And I think I'm at the point now where I'm asking people, like, try something else. Like, think of a, another medium that we can, like, share information, um, <laughs> uh, transfer knowledge. Like, I don't know. Like, go back to OE, right? Write a book at this point. I think that would take a little bit longer. There are a lot of, like, points of revision, right? Podcasts is, uh, some people do some editing, but very rare. We're getting a lot of, like, non-edited podcasts, which is... Uh, I, I, I think... Uh, what does Shakespeare say? The lady doth protest too much, I think is a line from Shakespeare. Uh, and I'll leave it at that. I will be continually pushing her to have a podcast. But you're right about the one thing uh, on that riff was so true to France. Uh, I've been doing this podcast now for six years. Mm -hmm. And the numbers were all time high during COVID, yeah. the height of COVID. I mean, people were home. <laughs> they were people listening were home. to my podcast. And then what? What was the uh, the app that came out? Uh, the one where you can chat in rooms. I'm feeling old. Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Oh yeah. Yeah. When that one came out, that that I think that amplified and created uh, a little confidence in so many people that, hey, I think I can like get in the room with a few people and we can keep this conversation flowing. And then that instantaneously turned into. Like, if you have a friend and you all have anything in common, like, let's let's make a podcast. Yeah, let's make a podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm still going to push you in that direction. All right. Uh, let's get down to business and stop talking about the future, your future in podcasting. Uh, and uh, so much to talk about. Uh, as I always point out to France, uh, outstanding basketball player. So she knows a thing or two about the game. Uh, and um, so we're going to talk women's uh, WNBA something happening like a political side of the WNBA, and uh, we'll get into John Morant. Would love to get your thoughts on him, uh, and we'll get in the uh, NBA as well. But I really want to talk to you about this. 
uh, story that broke. I think you were the one who first alerted me to it. So thank you very much for sending me a text. And then I got utterly obsessed with it and began reading <laughs> every freaking article uh, and have not had an opportunity uh, to talk about it. So I'm really looking forward to hearing this. Um, so the WNBA has a reputation for being a very progressively uh, league, politically speaking. Uh, the players in the WNBA took um, strong stance, particularly in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, which was three years ago today, by the way, to France. It's so deep and wild. I can't even just, wow, think about that for a moment, three years. Uh, and um, And yet, their league sometimes has a hard time keeping up with the players. This story broke. You sent it to me. Becky Hammond, uh, who is uh, one of the outstanding coaches or the most highly regarded coaches in basketball, not just the WNBA, but she was an assistant coach at San Antonio under Greg Popovich and now is the head coach for the Aces, the Las Vegas Aces uh, in uh, the, the WNBA, um, reportedly chastised one of her players who got pregnant. This is like, it just boggles my mind. <laughs> Yeah, that this would be going on in the WNBA. I mean, <laughs> if I was my nine, that were going on in the NBA. If there was like, could you imagine a coach chastising a player in the NBA because that player's wife or girlfriend got pregnant? You know, but uh, that's going to detract from your time on the court, Billy Bob. Uh, and um, so talk about it. Let's just take it from the top to France. Uh, Am I wrong to think that this is out of the norm or do you think stuff like this happens more often? No, I I uh, think across the league and outside the league, everyone was, was shocked, um, especially from a team like the Aces being one that is deemed like very professional, right? With They've gotten hit with a lot of fines just due to their owners wanting to pop in a lot of money. And, and I, I say that closely because I think there's a direct correlation between that and probably why um, Hamby, which is the player, received the type of um, response from Coach Hammond. Because um, I think right now that organization is trying to be the leader in, what, in the model of what the WNBA should look like. It should, on their minds, mimic what is happening in the NBA. Um, and so from a professional level, I think they're moving from a very business-oriented position instead of being more of a, we care about our people um, and what's happening within the organization. Now, again, I was shocked because it's a women's league. You have a women's coach. If anyone should understand women's problems, then it should be someone who has played the game and who herself is a woman. But we know that that absolutely is not the case at all. We see people who are women who get in positions of power and they, they do the same thing as the status quo. Very rarely they're trying to um, bend or amend or make new um, once they get to these positions. So it, it hurts me to hear that she experienced that. Um, but I'm also not overly shocked because I, I understand how the, how the sports platform and arenas, they, they just mimic what happens in everyday business life. Um, if a woman gets pregnant, our first question is when you're going to be back, not the well-being of you or the safety of your child or the safety of the pregnancy. And it's really alarming to know um, from throughout COVID, I think health issues have become a focal point on a lot of platforms, right? And particularly um, 
women of color and black women experiencing challenges within pregnancies. Um, we're, we're seeing, obviously we live in a country where the birth rate, um, is so ex- extremely high for children of mothers of uh, dying, experiencing death from pregnancies or people who go to the hospital and especially black women, their pain or is not being acknowledged. It's being ignored. So that, I think that completely aligns with what is happening outside of the sport and Becky Hammond, her response to not wanting her to go along with the, the pregnancy because it's like, we just want a championship. Like when we're trying to repeat instead of thinking about the well-being of the people. So those are my thoughts. Uh, I am um, shocked, but I understand that the players, the, the union of the WNBA, which is, is led, if it still should be led by the, uh, the sisters over in LA, um, I think they'll put institute some, some new rules and hopefully the backlash. I don't think it was enough. We're talking about two games and a little bit of a fine, um, a harsher punishment probably would have caused a little bit more uproar, but I don't even think the media is really paying attention to that because they're trying to figure out she's going to take a a NBA job at this point. So it's kind of getting like tossed underneath the rug, swept underneath the rug, which is, it's not a good thing at all. Yeah, and uh, so essentially uh, what uh, Becky Hammond allegedly did is when uh, Hammy came to her and told her she was pregnant or when she found out she was pregnant, she she essentially chastised her that and said, you're, you know, you should be thinking of the team. Yeah, uh, and, like how yeah. dare you How dare you get <laughs> pregnant on us at this time, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> we need those rebounds. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to, oh my God, God Congratulations, uh, yeah, like we're, we're, we're so happy for you. <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm curious to know how other women have been treated in the league. Um, we're seeing Skylar Diggins is pregnant right now. We've seen a slew of women uh, have children throughout um, their time in the league. So I hope that more women have come forward to express if they have felt some type of um, backlash from, from pregnancy. Um, and maybe this is uh, an opportunity, if not for people to feel safe and comfortable to come forward and, and not do the opposite. Right. Um, and I, I don't think it will. I think a lot of players at this point across all leagues feel like they, they have the backing of at least of the people. If I use social media the right way, um, I don't, I don't think people are in fear of institutions especially sporting institutions as they used to be. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm treading well, on, this treading a, on a lot of them. I don't I, really, I don't fully, fully believe that they they aren't afraid, but less afraid than they once were. Wait, who's less afraid than they once uh, were? To people to come forth with, with any allegations of, of harm or, yeah, or um, treatment, unfair treatment. Uh, I think everyone is, is, comfortable enough to to address these issues we've been seeing that across the board for many leagues yeah and uh so like the, the parallel in the corporate world uh that uh that obviously i've never experienced uh but i've read about for many years is uh women not getting promotion uh in law firms to become partners or in business to become ceos uh because the uh the men who run the companies are like well what happens when you get pregnant we're gonna lose you you know as yeah. opposed to <laughs> <laughs> oh. chill out dude it's only a year two years i don't know it's only you know? a year or two and and typically most yeah. of those people only get i forgot 
what is it, 16 weeks, something. It's a short period of time that allows you to, to be away from work. And typically what I think I remember reading too in a few articles, those women are often not taking the full time period that they need to be away because in fear of coming back and being replaced or being demoted. Um, so you're rushing back from this pregnancy, which is a very difficult process to endure on the mind, the body. And then also you're caring for someone who is, is still physically and emotionally attached to you. Like that still needs you there. So it's at a, at a institutional, at a, a country wide level, we need to make some changes and I, I don't foresee leagues doing what they need to do because um, they just don't really care. They, they care about winning and they care about the product. Well, they, they, they do care about public relations. They do care uh, about how they – I mean, they, the curious thing about this particular story uh, is that – I was saying this before we went on the air to Franz. Like, the Aces have completely denied it. Becky Hammond denies it, uh, and the Aces say, we stand with our coach. Yeah. And it's like, well, either it happened or it didn't happen. Yeah, you know? investigate. So so what was the point of the two-game suspension plus the fine? Like, again, that's that's why I said I don't, I don't think it was harsh enough to trigger true changes in addition to the way that the media, like any article that I read, it was just Becky Hammond's suspension, not the rest of, like, pregnant uh, – Suspended because of chastising of a, a, a pregnant player. Like that tagline would ensure to me that there's a little bit more severity around the allegations. Um, instead, it was just like, oh, she missed, she's going to miss two games. She's not going to be there for the opener. And then she's going to get fined. In addition to, she's Mike going to get an NBA job. Like, isn't that so cool? The first woman, like, <laughs> no, one can, no one cares about what is happening. It's it's just more so right, about Becky Hammond and her reaching ahead. Let's get to that. I, I don't believe she'll get an NBA job. I uh, personally do not believe. Uh, wait, when I say NBA, she was an assistant coach at San Antonio. Correct. So I believe someone would hire her to be assistant coach. I mean, head coach. I do not believe, and push back if you disagree with me, that, that the NBA is ready to hire a woman as a head coach. I, think I don't some- believe they're there. I think where she was being under pop, I think pop has enough leverage to be able to push her into a potential head job. I can say with a little bit more certainty, if she didn't take the WNBA job, stayed in that role as an assistant underneath pop, then I think it might've been a quicker decision to her being a head coach than her leaving the WNBA because then now you're playing, you're playing a game of is the men's men's game better than the women's game. And that's what we've always been as women's coaches who try to aspire to be on the men's side. It's like, well, why can't you just coach women's? Like if you truly believe the games have the equal weight, then why is that one better than the other? Why, why, why are people glorified, for being the first women's head coach in the NBA when you can go do a really job, a really good job in the WNBA and have the same success. It's like that marker of excellence is only achievable if I'm doing it on the men's side. So she'll have a, a lot of pressure of, of that feeling, especially knowing that she won at this level already at the WNBA. 
And it's like, all right, like I can just keep winning here and create my name and create my mark here. Or are you saying that being in the NBA and then whatever you do there is creates a, a better um, history and, a, and, and is more, has more importance if you do it in the NBA. So I don't, I don't know. I, I can see it. I can see it happening though. I, she, she understands the game X's and O's wise. She played for a really long time in San Antonio. Um, I think she'll be a much better than coach than some of the, the guys that are getting head coaches now who have just, who, who played one or two years and then are getting head coaches, right? Everyone was begging for JJ to get the coach. And I was like, I really, I think JJ would be a phenomenal coach. Remember I was vouching for JJ. I, I'm a really big JJ Reddick fan. His podcast is very good. I think he's a great commentator. Play by play, he's really good. And I honestly think he would be a, a really good coach. But what I think people have to recognize is that being a really good player and being a really good coach are two distinct things. You have to you have to work your I, I think it takes time for you to sit in that assistant position, sit in maybe that scouting position. Um, maybe you're a, a developmental coach. I, th- I think you need a little bit of practice before you really get thrust into that role of being a head coach. All right. The JJ, a JJ that you alluded to, is, of course, JJ Redick, uh, and uh, played in the NBA for about, I don't know, 10, 13 years, had a long run in the NBA. Uh, I have a bias. I must confess. I will admit this. I'm not. Ash- I mean, I'm not ashamed of this bias. It's a reality. I have it. I don't know if you share it. I just do not like Duke. He's a product of Duke. Uh, I I have these arguments with my friends. I'll put this out there. See if you can. There has never been a Duke graduate in the NBA. I don't know Duke graduates from the who are in the WNBA. So I cannot comment on that. There's never been a Duke graduate in the NBA that I wanted shooting the last shot. And right now, there's a Duke grad. Well, I don't know if he graduated. There was a Duke player uh, who plays for the Boston Celtics right now, who uh, everybody was championing as this outstanding player who was going to lead the Celtics to the promised land. You're giving Jason Tatum so much. <laughs> Jason Tatum. All I see is man run away from the ball. I think that's a great segue into what's happening now. Uh, I mean, he's only he's he's what twenty four. He's really young. He's really young. And I, I was having a conversation with someone. I still think he's overrated at this point. Um, with the level of expectation that has been thrusted upon him. Like we, we should be winning championships at this point. They made it to a, a finals. He, he he's, he's been uh, an all-star. I think he's, he's on track to, to maybe get one. Well, do I think he'll go down as one of the greats? We're, we're talking about greats is what top five, top 10. What, what, what how, how are we labeling greats? No, he will. Okay, let's put aside that conversation. I'm going to uh, concentra- uh, force you to concentrate on this. I may have said this the last time we were on the show. I say this a lot. I played basketball for many, many years. I was not good at it. You are really good at it. Uh, I know as a mediocre basketball player that there are moments in the game where I would disappear. DeFrance Smart, I'm telling you that right now, and I know how to do it. I played basketball for so long, I know what to do on a basketball court if I want to guarantee that I will not get the ball. 
I know where to go on the basketball court. I know where to move on the basketball court. I, I could give you, I could write a book on what a player has to do to guarantee that he or she will not get the ball in a crucial moment. When I watched uh, Tatum over the last, for those first three games, I'm like, oh my God, he read my book. He's doing everything I do. You drift into the corner while (laughs) the point guard is like being double teamed. He can't get you the ball. Oh, I'm in the corner. You can't pass me the ball. when the ball comes your way, you get rid of it real soon. There's that moment where you could shoot, but then you don't shoot. You know what I mean? You know that moment when you get that ball, and it's like, yeah, the, you got the motion. You could go, nope, I think I'll pass the ball. And I'm like, are you me, Jason Tatum? <laughs> You're playing like me. Yeah, it, it was, it was, I think everyone was shocked, especially coming off the 50 point game that he had. To, 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 to end the, the previous series, right? Um, but you, I, and I have been giving this man his props. Eric Spolstra is the second best coach in the NBA. And there's only one person ahead of him, and that's Greg Popovich. And that's because of everything that he's done thus far. But if we really wipe away and we look at, like, what players you've had, Spolstra has won with some of the worst teams ever. ever created we're we're talking about I think someone said they had more undrafted players than lottery picks right he had some D2 guys I was at Michigan when Robinson was at Michigan right the way that he's able to construct teams like there and I read another article and I think it's important as we're moving into an industry in sports and outside of sports where we're so quickly to just like start over. We're like, let's clean slate and let's try to build something anew. Like we, we, we're not going to give something time for it to figure out. I think that was the difference in like dynasties, right? We're talking about people who are invested. Your players feel comfortable being here. They're not worried about if I'm going to get traded mid season uh, player development guys are like, all right, we can only work on shooting now. And maybe next offseason we'll work on your mid-range and then we'll work on you finishing at the basket. But the inconsistencies of staff, it just makes players not have anything like familiar and and build quote-unquote systems that everyone wants to have. Like, yeah, we're we're a system-oriented team. We know what we're doing. And I think Miami are the only people, and obviously Golden State with what they built, within their organization as well, right? They've stuck to their core guys for a really long time, but they've won a lot. But I'm able to say that I'll stick through the tough times because I know what we put in and the hard work that we do, eventually we'll get to a really good point. And that's why they're successful from their front office to their staff, um, their PD guys, right? We always have this conversation like, who has a place where players are actually getting better over time? And they do. And that's because they they stick through a lot of the the, the, the bad years. When you're you're maybe the fourth from the bottom in the East. No, they're okay, they're the opposite of me. <laughs> I just described Jason Tatum the you what Duncan you mentioned Duncan Robinson. And Duncan Robinson uh, is a good shooter. Uh, and that's the strength of his game. 
okay? I'm not going to say he's a bad player in other aspects, but that's the strength of his game. He can sometimes fool a defensive player who thinks he's going to take the shot, and then he drives to the hoop. But basically, he's a shooter. He, Max Struess, uh, Vincent, they all, uh, they're not afraid. They they run on the court with the determination to get open so that Jimmy Butler passes on that ball. Kyle Lowry passes that ball. They're in a sp- spot to shoot. And they make the shot or they miss the shot. They're not going to be afraid to aggressively get to that point. Where you're... To France, I will say this. I believe no matter how great a defense is, a player who runs, a team that passes and sets screens, and plays as a unit, somebody will always get open. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You'll you'll get open. Now the issue is, are you afraid to shoot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, D-Rob didn't play most of the regular season. Like, people were questioning, I think he got, like, a lot of money. (laughs) Based on his performance from the time, the two years prior, um, they were questioning, like, man, should we have given him this this amount of money? And I, I think what the Heat do very well is, Stay ready. Stay prepared. Like your your number will be called at some point, and can you show up um, and do the job? And I think that's the level of expectation from the Heat players, where they know I might not be playing right now, but at least an organization believes that I should be here, that I'm I'm good enough to be here. And if I wasn't, then trust me, I would I I would get I would get axed. And so I think that level of confidence allows them to play better than probably what anyone would have thought that they would be able to do. Um, and then instilling confidence in mid players is some of the most dangerous things you can do because then the, the ceiling is like, I, I really have nothing to lose, right? People don't think I'm going to be good. Um, they don't put me on their scouting reports and then you get 30. And now you're the 30-point person, and we're freeing up time for an energy for Jimmy to come in the fourth quarter and just kind of close the deal for you. So I'm, I'm really proud of their organization. I've, I've always said that Spolstra, like he's one of my favorite coaches. Um, they're one of my favorite organizations. I, I thought to make his career last a little bit longer. I thought Westbrook, that was the only place that Westbrook should have thought about going because it was the only organization that was actually going to say, this is how you play basketball. This is how you move. This is how you cut off season. It's a very, they have to make weight. I don't necessarily always agree with, but that's what he's been doing forever. You got to put up shots, right? Shooting coach, player development. I thought it would be a great place for him to go. Obviously him and Jimmy sharing the ball would be a little different. But if anyone was able to figure out, right, the LeBron James and the D Wade, and if anyone's going to be able to figure out two people who need a lot of time to control the basketball, I think that organization can figure it out. Uh, all right. And so let's do a contrast. My beloved Chicago Bulls. Everything you said about the Miami Heat, they're the opposite. <laughs> they're the opposite. I can't think of anybody, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that uh, in the post Derrick Rose era, that the Bulls have developed zero. Like we we said, we said no one. And zero. Kobe White. Cool. Who are you Kobe. thinking? Kobe. Kobe White. Like, Kobe no, White. he just got he, he just got more playing time. I don't think they developed him. We we talked about this. Like he was a top ten pick. 
Uh, he was he was the sixth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So in other words, you're saying he had the talent to begin with. I, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm betting over backwards to to you know give him credit for something, but I can't think of anybody like players get shuffled in and out of the. You know what I mean? In and out of the locker room. Uh, then I go watch him, getting like Bobby Portis. Yeah, it, like if, even you your know? go-to star gets changed. Like so, even depending on like, oh, who are stars going to be? Like we're we're holding on to Demar Derozan, which is again, he's he's a phenomenal player. Um, Zach Levine, right? Very good, but are are they f- true true franchise players? I'm just. I, listen, I think they uh I think they are the Bulls have franchise players. What the Bulls don't have are the players uh who work within the system. So like for instance, oh my goodness. So Spolstra would would set up a defense when the Bulls would play the Heat, designed to get the ball out of DeMar DeRozan's hands. So that means your Duncan uh Robinsons, uh your Vincents. Your Max Struces, your uh, blanket on the other, uh, Mount Martins, Caleb Martins, players like this, you're gonna get the ball. There's a double team on Demar, and he can pass. He's really good. He'll get you the ball. You gotta hit the shot. Yeah, yeah. To force Bolster to adjust and start. They missed the shots. Yeah, I, so I mean, our, don't our, develop that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think I don't. I don't know if we'll we'll ever get to a, a loving our team space. Maybe, maybe if we get a new direction on the GM side, um, we get some better role players, as we as we call them. But it's it's, it's tough. I, I think it's 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 a testament to what some organizations do. Like when you're constantly meeting, I mean, getting to a conference final, what LeBron did, right? I'm I'm not, LeBron's never going to be my favorite player. I I think Kobe Bean Bryant is my favorite player of all time. Um, But I I definitely applaud him for being able to get to so many finals um, and willing a lot of bad teams to the finals, like bad teams. it's it's hard it's hard to do as an organization to to win. So All the right. Bulls are we're in the right direction, I guess. We're make at least we're making the playoffs, right? Yeah. Well, we didn't quite. With make, a play we in, the play the, yeah, in, yeah. This yeah. year we made the play in, but it's like <laughs> it's like when the NCAA ex- expanded to sixty eight teams, right? You count <laughs> <laughs> you count yourself as, as in the tournament if you make the play in, you do right. People yeah, have banners up that we made this to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I uh, listen. I was delighted to make the play in, and I, I, you know what? I'll say this about the Bulls: they won the first game of the play in against Toronto, and then they went and lost to Miami. But they, I mean, my Miami's great. This is like no shame in losing to Miami, and they they gave them a battle. You know, so Max Struess scored thirty-one points. He was the guy that night. He was hitting the threes. All right, I'm going to uh, get you to address something that you said to me in passing at one point, uh, and then we'll move on to another topic. I love Doc Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> I love Doc Rivers because I, I saw him play high school ball. Oh, at Proviso East. Yeah, you're, just, I you're, you're a Chicago play. lover. I, I know. I love 
I saw him. He's from the west side of Chicago. Then he moved, his family moved to Maywood. He went to Proviso East. He went to Marquette. Uh, I was, I, I really wasn't a fan of him in the NBA because he played for the Knicks. I hate the Knicks and I'm a Bulls fan. But I just always had the, I haven't really like any Chicago player. Nope. You know, uh, yeah. I stay loyal to Isaiah. Oh my God. I have so, all my friends hate Isaiah oh, Thomas. Oh, I like Isaiah Thomas. No, not, oh, well, not, as a, not as a GM person or coach, but like as a player. I, oh, he's one of the great. greatest point guards of all time. There's no doubt about it. But he didn't shake Michael Jordan's hand. And so all my, my, all my Jordan, oh, tons of, don't give you, don't get him started on Isaiah. <laughs> uh, he's a punk. Uh, da, da. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I just like, man, the guy is so good. How can you not have just utter respect for Isaiah Thomas? He paid the price for not shaking Michael Jordan's hand. They wouldn't put him on the dream team. Okay. So he paid a price for that. Uh, so I, I have always loved Doc Rivers and I want Doc Rivers to be the Bulls coach. I like. I would love to have Derrick Rose close out his career with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I love the Chicago guys coming home. Uh, I you may you don't agree with me on Doc Rivers, so you're, the the floor is yours. Explain your opinion of Doc Rivers as a coach. Doc Rivers as a coach, he has not changed with the times. I believe he's still in a Boston era basketball strategy mindset where defense wins games and we are in a different era of basketball where offense wins games and then defense for the most part keeps you close but offense better offense is beating better defense some days um and so i i firmly believe that that's where he has not made an effort of growth is to do that because he's had some like the teams he had at the Clippers, those were great teams. The teams he's had here, I mean, you got one, two. Arguably, you should have gotten out of that series. There's just no way you lose that one. Um, I think if they were gonna win, it would it would have been this year a healthy Harden. Um, so I, I I don't think he's. I've been asking for him to get fired for quite some time. And I think he, <laughs> I think he should just take. When I read, one of my friends sent me a, a text like, "Can you believe the Suns are considering him as a finalist?" And I said, "I'm not shocked, but I think he needs a year of of like just take some time off and retire at this point, because he's creating. Like I've heard players at this point say, like, "Nah, we don't want to go play for Doc." Like he's, he's a player's coach, but also like, I don't think we're going to be able to win like X's and O's wise. He's, he's, he's not good for me. So he's losing that respectability from the players. He's losing the respectability from the fans and other GMs where they're like, you can't really win. Like you're not winning with the level of talent that you actually have. So I think he should just kind of let it go. Retire. Well, first of all, he's he, he. You talk about a guy who should have a podcast. Doc Rivers is one of the great talkers of all. If you're like, he could really. He's funny. He's smart. Yeah. Uh, he can get political. He's got a great future in the media. In the media, like, yeah, I, I think he should. He should really start try, start to make that transition. Um, coaching for him, I, I've looked at a few games where he just looks like he's def deflated like on the on the sideline he's like 
what what left can I what left can I do when they were down like almost thirty in that the last Boston games? Oh, that was horrible. He was just yeah. like, I, I can't play for you. And when you get to that yeah. point of coaching where you feel like you can do a better job than your players, um, I think there needs to be a reevaluation of like what we're doing. And then, uh, in yeah. addition to, I think a lot of his staffs have been former players too who come from a, an era of this is how we play, like defensive minded. Um, he just needs an insertion of a, someone who's like a true offensive guru because we, we watch those series and they're just trying to play two man game or they're going one on four. Like there's not a lot of like continuity. There's not a lot of ball movement. It's very stagnant. So that's my, ba- my basketball observation about, uh, about uh, defense and offense in the NBA today. The defense holds the fort. While the end, while the offense is taking a rest, so to speak, uh, and then it's 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 such a game of runs uh, in the NBA, uh, not so much in the WNBA, but in the NBA, it is just a game of runs. Twenty two runs. Twenty two. Yeah, yeah like, you you get someone like down twenty four to two in the first, yeah. and then they'll come back and it'll be forty. It'll be fifty five to forty eight, and you're like, dang. Yeah. Someone score like that many points in like one quarter? Like, yeah, we've we've had fifty point quarters. We've looked up there was like a point, I think it was like last year or two years ago, where it was almost a hundred at halftime. And it was like what what are what defense are we playing? We can't be playing defense. Well, it's hard again, if you move, if the ball moves, you're gonna be open. Uh, it's just the way it is. It. I've never seen anybody stop someone from being even in the games. The, every they always say the same thing. The, well, they had open shots. They had the looks. Yeah, they didn't hit them. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't the D. It just didn't. Yeah, that's I the mean, same thing with LA. LA, like they they had oh, plenty plenty open shots. Like LeBron will get you open. The double one AD will get you open. I think we have to talk at some point about AD being everyone's uh, in the top fifty greatest players of all time. No. It's it was wrong for him to get placed there that soon. Um, yeah, another I, I, Chicago and another another Chicago and <laughs> Anthony Davis. And so many yes. people have hit me like, "Ah, oh, you were right." I was like, "Yeah, I, I I honestly thought my boy Dwight Howard should have been in the top fifty. Um, so many you other players, top top fifty greatest player of all time. What we're talking about the list that came out a year. They first, oh, 75, first they yeah, 75. To, yeah. yeah, top 75. Yeah, he definitely, Dwight Howard should have been in there. He was one of the most dominant centers of the, the 2000s. Rebounds, uh, block shots. Eastern Conference yeah. player took his, his Magic team, to which was a very not-so-good Magic team, right? Um, he was averaging a, a double-double, like 20, yeah, and, no, was, 20 was, and 20 double-double. Yeah. Let's not forget. Yeah, no, he, uh, it's, he gets, well, all right, let's not go down that path. I want, cause I, once I get started talking about the top 75, my issues with that, cause I'm older. So there's like guys from my day, I'm like, wait, <laughs> you know, I mean, why isn't Norm Van Leer on this list? That's my guy, uh, you know, uh, and then I just, and then people start yelling at me and stuff. Uh, but all right, uh, Let's talk about AD and LeBron getting swept. The the Los Angeles Lakers getting swept, and uh, the Denver Nuggets get upset because the the accent on that series is the Lakers losing, as opposed to the achievement of the Denver Nuggets. Jokic, Murray, uh, fabulous, two fabulous players. 
and uh, so uh, I realize that that's a little unfair to do that. On the other hand, LeBron James is one of the premier players of all time. Uh, and AD is on the top 75, whether he deserves to be or not. That's a whole other issue. Uh, and to get swept? And and there's not even an injury issue. AD was healthy. Uh, so what happened to the Lakers, to France? I think we can f- maybe finally throw away that the NBA is fixed. I would have never thought that that would be in the script, right? <laughs> Everyone is jokingly saying, like, NBA is fixed. There's just no way the Lakers are, are are beating the Warriors or like Boston is down. Like th- this has to be fixed at this point. And I'm like, guys, if they had LeBron and to get to the finals, um, then I would have said that the NBA was fixed. If he if that team made it to the finals, am I shocked? Yeah, I thought they could at least win one, um, one or two here for them to get swept was. Was a shock, but I, I, the Nuggets team, they have a lot of really good, great players. Like Green is over there. Um, uh, who else is over there? Uh, Pope. Pope Caldwell Pope is is over there. They got mm-hmm. uh, Brown, who's like a, an amazing defender, right? Yeah. Uh, so they have. I think Green was an All Star at one point. Aaron Gordon. Gordon was an All Star at one point. So we're we're talking about a good amount of guys who are, again, and I think this will be a great talking point once we get to John Morant, but you have a lot of vets, right? You got people who are seasoned players, people who have been in playoff runs before, people who have been on system-oriented teams, people who have now accepted their role as like, I know that I'm a knockdown three-point shooter and then I defend, or I know I'm I'm a... offensive rebounder and then I play my 12 to 15 minutes and then I sit down and we got a lot of teams with a lot of young guys that are trying to figure out what their roles are and are maybe trying to create roles instead of letting the role the the play um in the system create a role for them which it puts them in positions where they maybe try to do too much or they don't feel like they're they're a part of the team right we we saw it happen to uh DeAndre Aiden right? With the Suns. We saw it happen with Jordan Poole, right? With the Warriors. They got some other stuff happening, but like, I'm trying to figure out like what my, my role is, or I have a greater expectation because of the dollar amount that was just placed upon me when I signed a contract. Like I'm worth a hundred something million. Why, why aren't I playing worth a hundred million worth of minutes? Um, It's because only five people can be on the court. So I think Denver has set a team basketball, a, a standard of team basketball, and everyone knows their roles. We have two really good guys who are going to drive us offensively, and then everyone else pitch in when you can. Um, and that that leaves it – it's very difficult to guard five people on the court who actually can can make plays, and that's what we saw with the Lakers series. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analysis. And, again, fearless. Uh, so many of them stepping up and hitting those shots – uh, oh my goodness, Jokic hit some shots. The one-legged threes with the, <laughs> the catapult? Like the catapult yeah. jumper off the one-leg three, those are hard. Um, <laughs> some of the tip-ins are hard. He, someone said, Wait. and I was like, I agree. He's like, it's not the prettiest basketball to watch, 
Uh, but you have to, you have to love it. Like he, he's getting 30 and the way he passes at that size, right. I've, I've never seen anything like that. Um, and just as is, you can tell he has a will to win, like their entire team ha- has a will to win. So it's been yeah, fun. I, uh, I was rooting for them actually, uh, in the end I wanted see my, my attitude about these playoffs is I, I never want the season to end. So I always root for a seven game series. So I'm really rooting tonight. Uh, <laughs> no. Boston, so we Mr. J, I don't tonight. want I don't want seven <laughs> games of that. Because then at some you point, know, like Jimmy's going to run out of steam potentially, or I don't want to see that. That that is a pot. Although I don't know, Jimmy Butler is a of like that guy. Just when you think you're about ready to count him out, he's like a boxer. He comes off the mat, you know, and it's. Yeah, I am so impressed with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm a diehard Bulls fan. Jimmy Butler was drafted by the Bulls, played six years with the Bulls. I did not see this Jimmy Butler with the Bulls. Now, there's some Bulls fans are mo- moaning right now. All the Bulls never traded him. They were singing a different song to France in 2017. The Bulls were swept. The Bulls won the first two games against Boston. They got swept. They were they lay down. And Jimmy Butler was on that team. D. Wade was on that team. Rajon Rondo was on that team. He was injured, okay? They lay down and let Boston manhandle them, swept, and essentially swept them. And Bulls fans were like, trade Jimmy Butler. We're never going to win with Jimmy Butler. And now all of a sudden, those same fans are like, we should have kept Jimmy Butler. How stupid Paxson was. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's it's, it's it's the Miami system. He, 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 got, he got in shape. Right. I think re- remember when he was like in his Marquette days, he was a little bit bigger. He's a, he's a little bit more lean now that allows him to just kind of get up and down. His jumper has improved. It's still flat, man. His jumper is flat. Um, but he's able to be more accurate. Um, and then I, I think he truly enjoys that, that dual like offensive defensive role. Um, so he's, he's flourishing in a place and, and he's the go-to guy. Yeah. Whenever you go from a place where like ah, I don't even know if people are really invested in me being the guy, and then you get to Miami and they're like, no, you, you're you're our guy. Like as at some point he wasn't considered great. As good as you are, we're gonna ride with you. And I think as someone who works as hard as him, that just continues to build his confidence. Built it built his confidence to a point where he's like, I know I can compete with anyone. Like the confidence was already there. The skills just had to match with his confidence. And I think he's gotten to that place, so he, he's he's rocking and rolling right now. Well, well, I hope he gets the pleasure of at least a game six in this series, uh, just to drag it out. <sighs> I, I want to say in tonight. Let's 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 it? get started on. We'll probably have another lowest watched NBA Finals, the same way when they were in the finals before. Like, not too many people are going to tune into a Nuggets Heat. You know what? And that's and that's and I. I People tell me that, and I, I respond this way. Uh, but football doesn't have that problem. The Super Bowl is huge no matter who's in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is huge. Yeah, but it's just they, one night. It's one night. Like, if I think we, we too would maybe see if we had uh, this is it, one game, whoever wins it all, then we would have that same amount of, like, attention. But the Super Bowl just it, – it, it, it's like, hey, at any point, any team can win. 
Right. And they spent two weeks hyping. Two, it. two weeks hyping it up. We got the, the, yeah. the, the commercials. We got all this other jazz that yeah. really inflates like the product of, of, of that. But the NBA, it's like, nah, we're going to give you seven games. And if the first one isn't as hyped, like yeah. you get like a potential blowout, then everyone's like, oh, I don't really know if I'm going to tune into game two. In addition to, we don't have that superstar effect on either team. Like Jokic, he's not really like, he's not on billboards. He's not in marketing ads. Like he's just a really, really good player. Um, yeah. I don't think people have, and products have latched onto him and saying like, oh yeah, you're you're the guy we want to pump money behind. He's just like, I'm, I'm a really good player. And then on the other end, which I think Jimmy has the personality um, he has the skill. He has the look. Uh, he's not, he's original and, and everything that he does everyone's saying he listens to a lot of different music. I think this year would allow him to get a little bit more endorsements, but still, I think he, he, he's named more of like that underdog superstar, yeah. not as a glorified superstar. That's giving you international attention. No, you don't have the transcendent LeBron James. Absolutely. Oh no, no, also- no one like him. He's not an Allen Iverson, right. From these days, not Dwayne Wade. He also, he doesn't really dunk a lot, right. He shoots mid mid range jumpers, all the things that <laughs> the NBA is glorifying the three, the dunk. And like, are you a megastar? And we don't have either one of those if we get a, a Nuggets Heat final. But it's not and necessary. It's, some, it's not necessary. And it's just something about jerseys after a while. Like people talk Lakers, Boston, Lakers, Boston. And I'm like, Boston's a kind of a small market. It's not a big city. I think you're just in love with that jersey. Yeah. By the way, I cannot stand the sight of that jersey. Oh, I, can't I'm a, I can't stand Boston. I can't stand uh, Boston. Yeah, yeah but, <laughs> but like they're, they're, <laughs> their organization, they travel. It's like um, it's like comparable to like the Hoosiers, right? The the Indianas, uh, the other like high profile like colleges where your team can be mid, and if you make a Final Four, then we know at least ten twenty thousand alum will be at the game. Um, or you have, like you said, maybe Boston, like your great great grandpa was always a a boston head <laughs> yeah. and, and so you you're you're 25 yeah. and you're like yeah i root for boston it doesn't matter how good they are so you no, just I, have that that history from a, an organizational standpoint so i think that's what the nba is always banking on and the nugget right. the nugget so, no one no, nobody knows no, anything no, about the nuggets no, nobody no, Al, like alex England. i'm the only one who knows anything about the nuggets and i'm a junkie that's the only reason i'm a junkie a basketball junkie all right let's get to ja Morant. okay uh, and uh, you can weigh in. Everybody else on the show has been weighing in on it. Uh, okay, and just for uh, anybody who's living in a, a cave or something, John Morant, un- incredibly talented. And just one of the most gifted young basketball players in the league. Uh, point guard for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, who got in trouble about Two months ago, I think three months ago, yeah, uh, like for being in a vid- video that was shot at a club where he was brandishing a pistol, and he put it out on his social media. Uh, that's a cry for help right there. Uh, and uh, he was suspended, I think, for eight days. I want to say eight games to France. Uh, and he apologized and he said, "I'm I'm going to therapy. I'm going to take time off. I'm going to change my ways. I'm a new person. Uh, I've learned." He gave it, this interview with Jalen Rose. 
which I don't know if you saw, but it was uh, on ESPN. I've changed. You're going to see a new uh, John Morant. Fast forward, I don't know, six weeks. What do we see? What do we see on social media? John Morant brandishing a pistol. And I'm like, wow, you must have some kind of weird destructive streak going on Mm -hmm. that is really deep. Uh, And so the Memphis Grizzlies, I believe, have suspended him while they investigate. Uh, There's all kinds of rumors about the league going to step in. And I've heard everything from like a quarter of a season to a half a season of a suspension. And they want to send a message. Uh, Let's just start with your general thoughts of what is going on with a John Morant. Uh, uh, like everyone, I, I was shocked by the second video. I was like, ah, this has to be AI, right? The, the way that we're doing like the images and the videos, like <laughs> this can't be like, this can't be real life. This, this, this has to be some simulation. There's no way he's on, he's on camera again with the gun. Um, and then I quickly remember that he's what? 22. Is he 23? 23 with a lot of money. Um, and I, I, I felt bad for him, honestly. I, I think a lot of people jump to a place of, like, he should get suspended and reprimanded, like, w- right away. And for me, I was just thinking, too, like, on the mental health side, everything can't be well. There's just no way that you, you consider someone who the way that he spoke in the media about how much basketball was important to him, how he spent so much time in the gym. And to think that you knew maybe something like this would potentially lose endorsements, right? You just got endorsed by Nike. Um, your team made the conference finals last year. Obviously you lost, but I got a lot of career left. I'm 23. And to think about potentially throwing that way, I don't think he just can be in a good mental state. Um, and also a lot of people have been speaking to a lot of like alcoholism, right. That he's been having issues with drinking. But for me, um, I, I don't think punishment is ever going to be the solution. I think there, there needed to be a moment of players coming to have conversations with him and the league, putting him in touch with folks who can maybe speak to like, even like a random Gilbert arenas comp. I, I can't stand Gilbert at time. Gilbert is actually a great podcaster as well. If you have not listened to his podcast, Gilbert is his analysis on basketball, his analysis on what happens in and out of the league. He's really good at that. My my greatest issue with Gilbert is his attack on the WNBA. That's a whole nother segment that we can talk about. But I think even having that conversation with Gilbert, right? He had a gun in the locker room and kind of what that did for his career that completely put just put him in a place of like after that he had knee injuries like he was not he was not well after that he lost a lot of money lost a lot of potential endorsements so to have other players or people with that narrative to speak to what this does to you um in your image and i think that would have been better i don't i don't particularly he didn't break any laws either like we're, we're seeing people if if the gun was registered to him um, he wasn't shooting it. He wasn't aiming it at anyone almost as the same way that people potentially with shotguns or, or guns used for sports and hunting. It's the, um, it's the imagery of a young black man with another young black man who is being deemed as someone who is in the 
gang or violence arena paired with him driving in a car, listening to hip hop, then we automatically think like the worst of what this brand is symbolizing. And to me, that gun symbolized like a need for help instead of uh, violence. And I think it, it just, it's unfortunate that we live in a country where gun violence right now is a heavy, it has always been, but it, particularly at this moment where we're seeing mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting, and our country is deciding to do nothing about it, then he's obviously a, an easy target to say, like, if we continue to pump up these, these people who are role models and are supposed to be good markers of, of great people and excellence and look at him holding a gun, then the NBA has to do something to, to kind of prove a point that this is not the image that we're trying to portray to our, our young fans or, or our fans in, in general. So yeah, he's getting the brunt of that, but I, I don't think he should get punished a half a season, a whole season. Um, I, I think he, he needs some guidance. And, yeah. and the question is, where is that? Where is that guidance? Where can it come from? Um, and I, and a lot of self-reflection. That's what I, I feel. Yeah. And, um, uh, that guy okay, was a great riff and there's a lot to pick up on. Uh, I'm going to make a note about the gun thing. Uh, I'll just deal with the guidance. I mean, pretty much everybody who comes in the show says what he needs is an older person, uh, to, uh, lead him through things. And I said, yeah, that, that sounds good. But if he's having really deep problems and issues, like an older vet from the NBA is not who he needs. It's not, that's not someone he should be seeing. You know what I'm saying? Like that person may say to him, you need help. Don't be afraid. You know, I'll help. I'll be with you to take you through this. But you got to get a therapist or doctor, or, you know, whatever. It's a mental health yeah. issue. And that's why he had someone come to his, cause he put out a social media post where he, he thanked all his parents, his, his, his kid. And then the last thing he put was like a bye. Right. And people thought that yeah. this was um, kind of like a suicidal note. And so he had supposedly like he had a, a wellness check on him by the Memphis police. But I think even even in that, the the, the guidance piece coming from an, an older vet, um, yeah, I don't think that will, will solve the issue. I think it can be a part of a solution to help solve. But even making the statement of like, I, I for a minute thought back like, ah, the Memphis Grizzlies are one of the youngest teams, right? He's considered the leader of that team. Like, What type of guidance are they getting? Uh, that, that might not help either. <laughs> I'm sure there have been some some issues on some older teams as well, but he he, he needs some mental help. So talk to a therapist. Um, maybe take a little bit of time off social media, which he's decided to do. But um, it's just it's also like he he is the exact opposite of what the league sees as a a model. Like I, when I think of a model basketball figure. Honestly, when we revisit history, I think LeBron is going to be one of the the models of excellence that the league has ever had in terms of a, a black man. No controversies on and off the court, reading, schools, like he he's kind of done it all. And I think that anyone that strays away from that, and especially as we're seeing how we started the segment, 
players having more autonomy, players asking for more, anyone that decides to go against that image is, will be automatically bucketed into like, we need to fix or have some type of reform. Um, and that that's what we're trying to see with Kyrie. We've seen with a few other players who have not been able to stick in the league. And it's like, how can we can conform you into this, this thing that will get us a lot of money. Right. Um, yeah, and, that's a- and we'll and we're really ending where we began. Yep, because we began with the WNBA's insensitivity uh, to its players uh, and where they are in their lives, uh, not giving them the support, uh, and then we end with this notion that the NBA has to be uh, more sensitive to the needs of its players. And you, you hit on a point when in, in, in sort of in passing, there is tremendous hypocrisy here. Our country. We have an obsession with guns. There's the gun cult that controls the Republican Party. This is me speaking, not to France. Don't hold her responsible for what I say. But there's an obsession. It's a cult of guns uh, in in our country today, particularly with the Republican Party, with MAGA. Uh, and uh, when, when, what was it? Kid, Kid Rock was protesting, um, was it the, the, I forget which beer company it was uh, that had a trans person as a spokesperson. He lined up the beer bottles and he had this like automatic rifle. Yeah. Like, shoot like, that. Big, yeah. Tough guy shooting him up. And they were like, yeah, yeah. Mag is cheering him on, you know, that, but that, that, but somehow or other, Oh, thug life, you know, when uh, John Morant does it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's almost more important yeah. of who, who's holding the gun, which is, has yeah. always been an, it's always been an issue of, of who's, who's holding the gun is more important than the gun itself. Yeah. Um, and, the symbolism of the gun, right? When Kid Rock holds it, it's 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 one of um, I don't want to say it's white power, but uh, being able to, yeah, what it is, it's it's it's, it's white power. It's also like I, I'm 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 here to uphold safety in the institution of Americanism, right? Um, freedom, right? All all these things that that a white person holding a, a gun will symbolize. And then on the contrary, when a black person hold, ho- holds a gun, it's, it's that thug life mentality. It's that this is barbaric. Um, this comes with a lot of harm. Right. Um, but never is it equated with like, when we, when we pull up the, the, the records of mass shootings, when we pull up the records of domestic violence amongst um, police officers, officers, when we pull up the records of, um, just violence in general with guns. It, 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 if we go through, we we will see that white people having guns are far more detrimental than than black people having guns. And it's just in states where it's a lot easier. Like we we live in a we live in a city right now where we conceal a carry, um, or or being able to carry without concealing is not a thing, right? Um, in New York, right? Gun gun laws are, are are harder or harsher in these major cities where a lot of black and brown people are, are populated. But a lot of crime happens in like the South that everyone forgets about where there are still a lot of black people, but white people are committing these crimes. And we just we don't really talk about that type of stuff. Well, it's uh, like I said, we our country's obsessed with guns. Black people are obsessed with guns. White people are obsessed with guns. Uh, 
it's like a sign of toughness. I've watched so many gangster movies. The fronts, I'm even starting to think, ah, you know, in a weird way, I've contributed because I've watched so many gangster movies in my life. <laughs> and, you know, I like. Yeah, it's, in our, it's, it's, imbe- it's embedded in our, it's embedded in our culture. It, yeah, but it's gun, gun violence is embedded in our culture. And I, I think about, it's so odd to hear that, like one of my friends asked me, like maybe a year ago, like what's one thing you can change right now? If you could change one thing, and my mind immediately went to like eliminating, eradicating guns. And they were like, wow, like you're the second person that said that. And I was like, honestly, for me, being in a in a city that is it's, it's quote unquote none for known for gun violence, but just living in a, a state of like constant fear, living in America, that at any moment, wherever you are, that that type of you're thinking that that is a potential risk on your life that someone can potentially harm you with a gun. Um, that's a, it's a scary, it's a scary place to be. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't wish that upon anyone. And so that was like my immediate response to that question. So we, we do have a problem. Big problem with guns. And, uh, all right, we've, uh, gone over our time limit. I tell you, uh, the two of us have the gift of gab. <laughs> <laughs> love talking to, to France, love talking sports and politics, all kinds of things. We didn't even get to Brittany Griner. We didn't get to the WNBA roster. But you know what? It'll still be there next time you come oh, on yeah. the show. Yeah, uh, for sure. I didn't foresee. Uh, I didn't like half this conversation came out of nothing we planned. <laughs> <laughs> That's, the whole, none of the, the things we talked about were not on the list. Not, that not we, on the uh, list at all. No, it, it wasn't on the list at all. That's life, man. It's what happens when you you plant something else. Uh, all right, DeFrance Smart, uh, basketball player, great thinker, and uh, good friend of my show. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Appreciate you always, Mr. J. All right, that's the great DeFrance Smart. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.